And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And before I begin, as usual, I'd like to remind everybody to please follow me on Twitter. Not because I need the followers, although it's, it's a nice thing to have, but because so much of the so many of the things that I refer to, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, whether it's a citation, whether it's a, a specific news story, you will find on my Twitter feed. Uh, and that way you can check up on, on the, the, the facts that I'm stating, uh, or you can more importantly learn more about the topics that I'm talking about that thankfully every topic I think I hit on, I, I, that, I, that I touch on, on this program deserves a lot more time than I could ever give it on Novak Now on this radio show podcast. So I, I want everyone to try to follow the Twitter feed so that you can get more out of it, uh, out of this program and some of the things that I talk about, because I think the best, the best value of Novak Now is I alert my listeners uh, to stories that are coming from people maybe more accomplished and, and a lot smarter than I am, and you want to be able to get more uh, of that and, and really see it in its full form. So Again, the Twitter feed is at JakeJakeNY, the at symbol for those of you who are not that familiar with, with Twitter and how it works. And then Jake, Jake, Jake twice, Jake, Jake, NY, at Jake, Jake, NY. And you will pretty much get a tremendous amount of content for free. So I hope you'll do that. Um, I'm going to try to hit three topics today. And I think they're they're all important in their own way uh they maybe are and maybe in descending importance but i think all of them have something to teach us about our situation here not only right now here in the united states but of things that are enduring i mean one of the things that i like to point out about when i talk about politics or history is if you think this is the first time such and such has happened and that we've never had any kind of instance like this, or we've never had guideposts along the way in the past, certain mileposts or guideposts, whatever you want to call them, that could tell us about what's going on somewhere much further down the line, then you're probably wrong. In other words, there have probably been historic events very similar to what we're dealing with now, maybe just on a different scale. And more importantly, there have been hints or omens, uh, harbingers, whatever word you want to use to teach us something about what we're going through right now. And I, and I want to talk about this in the context of our situation with China, the United States' relationship with China. And I'll mention a little bit about Israel's relationship with China as well in this part of the discussion because it's important. It's an important part of, of this discussion. Uh, as I speak to you now, it looks like the very popular app, especially among teens and people in their young t- early 20s, called TikTok. Now, for those of you who don't know what TikTok is, it's not too different from maybe Instagram or some other social media, but it is very much a social media platform used by young people to make very, very short videos. Usually, very often, they're set to music. There has been a whole group of people who have created what's called TikTok dances, because if you only have 20 or 30 seconds, or maybe even less to show a song or to make a joke that's set to music or some kind of quick skit, having a little bit of a dance chore- having your dance choreography go along with that short snippet of music or whatever you're, or, or, or video that you're showing is, is helpful. Um, I have two daughters, one who is 17 and one who is 12. My 12-year-old loves TikTok. And yes, she has one of those accounts where her mother and I are the only ones who can decide who sees it, 
uh, among among other human beings, that is, in this country. And yes, we make sure that the content is appropriate as best we can. But she's really into it, and we have to work with her sometimes to make sure she doesn't spend too much time uh, on that app. And of course, the COVID-19 lockdown and the fact that there's been no school or camp has made that harder for us. It's hard to say no when there aren't as many organized activities or homework assignments or other things to give her. Of course, I'm studying with her when I can, and we're doing those kinds of things. But I think every parent really understands this. It's been difficult to fight the battle of the screens with young people right now, even more difficult than usual. And it was never easy, but it's super hard now. But the problem with TikTok is that it's a Chinese-made app. And that alone, that fact alone isn't the problem. The problem is that it's been proven definitively that personal history and search history and everything else like that that a TikTok user has is being taken down by the company. And we also believe very strongly that that information is being transferred over to the Chinese government. Now, whether the Chinese government is using it now, will use it in the future, will use it for a nefarious purpose, that can be a debate. We can debate all three of those possibilities. And the answer could be no to all of them. But it's more than a little disturbing, so much so that some countries have banned TikTok, India banned it. Um, And the House of Representatives, which is run by the Democrats, by the way, banned the use of TikTok by House of Representatives employees some time ago, a few weeks ago, I believe. It might have been more than that, but it's at least a few weeks ago. President Trump on Friday night, while flying on Air Force One, told reporters there that he will, by executive order, ban TikTok in the United States. And now that, that's not the first time we've heard uh, – that didn't come completely out of the blue. There, has been, there have been news reports for quite a while now, and by quite a while, I may, may, maybe two months – uh, telling people that you know that, that we were going down this path, that especially after the House of Representatives made this move, although a lot of people forgot about that, which was very convenient for the for the Trump bashers out there who want to go crazy about President Trump thinking about banning TikTok or saying he was going to ban TikTok in this country, uh, were the same people who had nothing to say about the Democrats who control the House of Representatives who were banning it for their employees. Obviously, there's a problem with this app. There's a, there's, a, there's a threat involved with this app. And for someone who really is a strong defender of civil liberties, it's not some, of civil liberties, it's not something like I'm jumping up and down. I'm really, really happy that the president might make this unilateral decision to ban this app uh, here in the United States. I don't think it's, it's, it's happy news. Uh, but I think it might be necessary. It might be necessary for the security of our children, especially, and for the security and for national security. And it isn't just TikTok. It's a lot of Chinese-made hardware products. Huawei, H-U-A-W-E-I, is a major, major telecom company out of China. They make a lot of phones, and the phones are popular all over the world. And I have sources in Israel who have told me now for more than a year that a number of IDF soldiers who work at sensitive even at the most sensitive israeli army bases obviously any idf position or any idf soldier in by definition is a sensitive and and a a security issue they want to have that we want to have them more secure than 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 just a a regular regular building or a regular person we want to we want to do that we want to make sure that there's some security security there but for those idf soldiers who work at bases that have intelligence facilities and have very, very sensitive materials on base. I've been told for more than a year now that those soldiers have been told, if, if you have a Huawei phone, get rid of it. 
and, sh- and, and, and certainly do not bring it on, on this base. Now, for a number of reasons, I think that the Israelis haven't made that into a national story. I wanted to write about that uh, again almost a year ago, and I just wasn't able to get anybody on the record to say so. Now, that's not the kind of story that I could build a whole story around an anonymous source. I would like to have at least one person on the record, even if it's just a soldier saying, hey, my name is so-and-so and and I'm a soldier and uh, my commander told me not to bring the phone on. Even that would have been good enough for me, but I wasn't able to get that because a lot of the soldiers have been told to, you know, keep quiet about it and I understand that and I respect it. So I'm not going to give anybody's name away and and that kind of thing. So I... um, this is an issue in Israel as well, and, 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 and you know, I don't know if TikTok is used in Israel or if it's allowed there either, but it, with India already banning it for the whole country, the House of Representatives doing it, and apparently President Trump about to do it at any time here in the United States, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Israel hasn't already done it or will do it soon after. So it is an issue that I understand, again, if you're someone who really supports civil liberties and doesn't want governments to be too, too powerful – um, I can understand the knee-jerk and, and maybe even better the knee-jerk reaction against this decision that President Trump is apparently going to make. But remember, this isn't necessarily an anti, you know, a pro-government power decision because this is actually a, a move that the United States is making to weaken the Chinese governments over, uh, over strong and overindulgent and overimposing a power it has over its own people and our, and, and, our, and, and our people as well. So it's not necessarily a pro-government move when you think about it. So uh, I, I don't really have a huge problem with it. I understand the objections to it, and I really respect a lot of the people who do have objections to it. But what I don't respect and what I don't think is, is, is helpful is people only mentioning this story as if it came out of the blue, as if no one ever heard of it. Uh, as if it's only a Trump thing. There's a lot of people who are coming up with the what I like to call the psychic psychiatrist nonsense that we see a lot of. In other words, you see a lot of people writing stories that actually get published by major publications, newspapers, websites, the whole thing, uh, by authors who purport to know what President Trump is thinking. And then they analyze the thinking. There's a lot of that out there. Um, don't ever read it, even if it's someone you don't like. Don't read articles that are done by psychic psychiatry because they're not worth the paper they're printed on or the, the screen that you're watching. It's not worth it. So, but it's funny to see that there are people who are doing this as if, again, as if the House of Representatives controlled by Democrats hadn't made a similar decision already. Uh, it, it's, it's very silly to turn this into some kind of Trump personal uh, tep- temper tantrum. It's silly. Not true. So... Again, there's arguments to be made against this move that I, by some people that I respect, but I'm not respecting people who say, like, well, this is Trump just angry at China. That, that doesn't make any sense, and it's not helpful to go down that road. We need to discuss how to protect our children. We need to pr- discuss how to protect the national security of this country properly. And if there's a way to do that without banning TikTok, I'm all ears. Tell me about it. But I'm not interested in hearing about you know someone who thinks that someone is having a tantrum it's, it, it, that you've never met or, or in, been in the same building with. It's, it doesn't make any sense. So that was something that is, you know, it, it's the debate that people are talking about. But of course, this is all a smaller part of a very larger debate, which is what in the world is China doing? And what role is China assuming right now in the world? Now, this is not the first time I've discussed China here on the Novak Now program on the Nachum Siegel Network. Many of you may remember about a year ago, several, or, or at least several months ago, and you can find it all in the archives. I did an, almost an entire 
episode of Novak Now where I discussed the fact that I don't believe that China is, is an honorable country. That China's government, to be more specific and fair, is honorable. I don't believe it's honorable. I believe that the Chinese government believes that it has the, plays the role of victim. And China as a government and as a country for many years was a victim. It was a victim, I mean, just in the last hundred years, it was a victim of terrible genocide committed by Japanese invaders in the early 1930s, going all the way until the end of World War II. It was a victim of its own communist regime. I mean, they, they consider themselves victims for the acts that they committed on, uh, against their own people, but, and that's certainly ludicrous, but it's not ludicrous for the people who suffered under Mao and, 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 and all the other folks who, who, who've controlled the country since the communist revolution. They've considered themselves victims from going even before the last hundred years, going into the last 200 years or so, victims of Western powers like the British and even the United States who took advantage of it in a colonialist type way, no doubt about it, not denying any of these things. It's just that they're still playing the victim, even though they've become the second wealthiest country in the world, they've become incredibly prosperous, and they're still pretending like they're victims. And victims, sadly, very often take, and not all of them, of course, but a lot of victims take, a, take upon the, the, the psyche that they don't have any real rules. That because they're victims, they no longer have to play by anybody's rules. And just to take a little bit of a detour here on the, again, the road that I like to put, the title of, of a road, a, a little detour I like to take sometimes, which is Jake Novak is not a rabbi and not attempting to play one on the radio or a podcast. I'm not. But it's one of those things, it's a very, very important lesson that we get in, in our Jewish heritage and in the Torah, which is we learn about our people who had just been going through, had just gone through 400 years of victimization as being slaves in Egypt. And they come out of Egypt. And what's the first thing basically that's foisted upon all these victims? Not a god or angels or anyone who comes down and, who come down and tell them, hey, you've been victims. You don't have any responsibilities. Go, go have fun. The exact opposite happens. They're given 613 responsibilities. They're given the Torah. They're told, you're not a slave anymore. And yes, you've had a certain victimization. That victimization is a responsibility, not a get, not a get out of jail free card. So now you're going to follow some more rules, not less, not fewer rules. You are going to be expected, more is going to be expected of you, not, expected of you, not less. And boy, could we learn that, do we need that lesson in America today? Has there, ha, have some of our minorities been victimized unfairly? I mean, absolutely, no denying it. But the answer to that victimization is not to give those people fewer responsibilities, the answer is to, to, to tell them that they should have the same responsibilities as everyone else and maybe more, maybe, maybe more. But anyway, China is, of course, taking the other tack, which is they believe that they, that they don't really have to follow any rules, that they've been victimized from 200 years ago and before by a number of different countries. And so now the world's going to pay back and they don't have, and so, thus they don't act honorably. This was the, the entire focus of, a, of an earlier edition from several months ago, maybe even a year ago now, of Novak Now, where I basically said that the Chinese government has no honor. I didn't just basically say it. I said that very, uh, very often in, in, in just those plain words. So, okay, so we know that they're, that they're acting this way and they're breaking a lot of rules, but how does this, how did it take shape? And how did we know that some of this stuff was going to happen? How did we know that a TikTok was going to happen, that a, that a company would be made where there would be at least a side business and maybe even the whole point of TikTok was to steal the information 
of private information of Americans for whatever nefarious purposes could, you know, that, that may be what's going on with TikTok, which is why it's been banned in so many countries and why we may join them. But how do we know this was going to happen? And how do we know we were already in a bad place with this whole thing? And I'd like to have all of the listeners here. I'd like to, to remind you, if, you've, if you do remember this, or, or just tell you for the first time, if you've never heard of this incident, I'd like to tell you about something that happened in 2007. For some of you listening, that might seem like a long time ago, 13 years ago. For many of you, that might seem like just yesterday. But in November or October of 2007, let's just say the fall of 2007, there was a hearing on Capitol Hill in one of the House committees. Now, at the time, Congress was completely controlled by the Democrats, both the Senate and the House. For those of you who remember the midterm elections in 2006 that were completely run by the Democrats, and this was Nancy Pelosi's first big national triumph, she focused the election completely on Iraq, which at the time the Iraq war was getting less and less popular in the country. And based on that issue, the Democrats were able to win both the House and the Senate in a big midterm election victory for them. So the Democrats are in control, which means that the hearings that are held when you're in control of a House of Congress or both Houses of Congress basically get decided by your chairman and your leadership, your party's leadership. So if you can believe it, in 2007, a Democrat-controlled House with a Democrat-controlled committee by a Democrat named Tom Lantos decided to have a hearing to look into an internet company here in the United States and what it had done to help the Chinese government and basically get them to admit to some, some real ethical breaches and in a lot of ways crimes, but nothing that they could probably be prosecuted for. But they really wanted to find out what this internet company had done. And the name of that internet company was Yahoo. And if you can remember back in 2007, Yahoo was a much bigger deal in the internet space at that time. Since 2007, they are, they've, they've lost all but a small fraction of their value due to some tremendous mismanagement and some huge mistakes, biggest, the biggest being rejecting, not too long after 2007, major, major takeover offers worth a lot more money from Microsoft and a few other folks out there. They ended up merging and, and being, being bought by Verizon, and it just the whole thing is nothing now. It's not even close to what it once was. They still have some internet... Uh, bandwidth. Uh, Yahoo Finance is still a, a, a network that you can watch online. I don't know how well their viewership is and how well they're doing. I don't think that they've made a huge impact uh, on the financial news world. That's just my, you know, mostly a lot of what I do, so I, I pay attention to that. Um, but in 2007, they were a much bigger company. And Tom Lantos and his committee in the House, again, run by the Democrats, dragged the CEO of Yahoo and one of the co-founders of Yahoo at the time. The CEO at the time was Jerry Yang, an Asian-American, actually born in Taiwan, a Taiwanese-American who had created uh, Yahoo along with a few others at Stanford, made a lot of money in so doing and, and all of that. And why was he being brought and what was this hearing about? What was this embarrassing or possibly criminal thing that Yahoo had done? It turned out that Yahoo had helped the Chinese Communist government find out the location where this person was living of, of, a, of an anti-Chinese government pro-democracy dissident. The Chinese government went to Yahoo and said, you guys with your internet service in, in our country can help us find this guy. So help us find him. 
And Yahoo said yes. And that dissident was arrested and I I believe is still behind bars after all this time. And Tom Lantos, who was the Democrat who was the chairman of that committee, didn't just berate Jerry Yang about this incredible breach of ethics that Yahoo had committed in favor of a, I mean, they, they knew that this guy, if they had told the Chinese, you know, by telling the Chinese government, they knew that this person at the very least would be brutally arrested, maybe even killed. And Tom Lantos didn't just get them to admit that this happened. He told him, he, he said to, to Jerry Yang, he said, Mr. Yang, the wife and mother of that dissident who you put in, because of what your company did, put this guy in, behind bars for probably for the rest of his life, are sitting right behind you. I want you to stand up and say you're sorry to them. And that's exactly what happened. Now, I don't know how honest and, 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 and true Jerry Yang was being when he made his apologies. But if you can imagine the emotional scene that that was, and again, this wasn't heavily, heavily, heavily covered by the news media at the time, which was still obsessed with the rock. And at the time, the economy was starting to get into those first headwinds of the 2008-2009 recession. So there was a lot of, there wasn't, it wasn't a headline making story, but of course it should have been. And you can imagine what, what an emotional scene that was when Yang was giving his apology. Again, I don't know how credible of an apology he was giving, but the relatives of that dissident were in tears, as you might expect. It was a very emotional moment. And to just add to some of the emotion of all this, I want to tell you about who Tom Lantos was. Tom Lantos, again, a Democrat congressman, and not just a Democrat congressman, but a Democrat congressman from one of the bluest pro-Democrat bastions of this country. He was from the Silicon Valley. He was representing the, you know, not, he was, I get the next district over from like Nancy Pelosi. But Tom Lantos, sadly, is someone who I don't think would be in the Democratic Party right now, at least not in the leadership. Tom Lantos was a Holocaust survivor. He was born in Hungary, Jewish man, survived Auschwitz, if you can believe it. Came to the United States, became successful, eventually became a congressman. And Tom Lantos in oh so many words, told the world and told Congress that, the rest of Congress and the rest of the country that day, that he knew all about oppressive governments and regimes that shouldn't be helped and aided by companies that were saying, oh, we're just following orders or we're just making a deal with a, you know, a, country, company, a country where we need to make a lot of money. The fact that Tom Lantos orchestrated this whole event, this whole hearing, had extra meaning because he was a Holocaust survivor. And Tom Lantos spent a lot of his career on the Hill Reminding people of the lessons that he had learned from the Holocaust as a survivor. Now, sadly, Tom Lantos would die just about three months later. I believe he died in January or February of 2008. It was early 2008. It was his last moment, really, his last big public uh, achievement as a member of Congress of many. And when I hear about TikTok and people talking about China and all these kinds of things, I ask myself, did people... Did everyone forget what happened in that hearing 13 years ago? Did everybody forget? Because like I said at the beginning of this program, there's always a lot of mileposts out there. (laughs) Mileposts exist for a reason. You know, omens, hints, things that happen. And if more of the country, maybe if, if the news media had made that more of a lead story, or maybe if we just talked about it a little bit more, we would have known 13 years ago, well before Trump, well before the trade fights, well, well before COVID-19, all this kind of stuff. We would have known what China was up to and what we need to do as a country and what our businesses need to do and what our politicians, politicians need to do to stand up to this kind of regime. 
And I just think we spend a lot of time ignoring that reality. And we spend a lot of time not listening to that important lesson, that last lesson of his life that Tom Lantos tried to give us. I hope we, I hope we learn from it. Another person who passed away uh, just, but just over the weekend was an actor named Wilford Brimley. This is the second quick topic I want to hit on today. Wilford Brimley, for some of you, you might think know him as the Quaker Oats man, the guy who talked about how Quaker Oats can help you avoid diabetes. He was a funny actor sometimes. He could be a very serious actor at other times. He was in a lot of movies. Most of you probably remember him the most from a movie called Cocoon. He was one of the main actors in that movie. He was also in The Firm. He was a bad guy in that movie. Made an appearance on Seinfeld in a very famous episode. But for me, Wilford Brimley's greatest work was in a movie that I really highly recommend. And again, I'll put it up on my Twitter feed so you can find the link to the movie and you can rent it or you know, rent it online or try to find it in any other way was in a movie called Absence of Malice. And I'm not going to give away... I'm going to try not to give away anything in the movie that I, that, you know, at all. But I can tell you that it is a very important movie to see. It really resonates today. I feel like it's an important film for everyone to watch, but especially anyone who's involved in the legal or the journalistic profession. And Wilford Brimley has a scene where he basically is the only major speaker in the scene. He only comes into that movie towards the very end. I think it's the last 10 minutes of the movie at the most. But he commands the screen in a way and says lines in a way that are just absolutely riveting. And I'm telling you, (laughs) we need somebody like that Wilford Brimley's character to come in right now and tell off some of the folks at the FBI and in our journalism industry who have really victimized the country over the last couple of years and have broken, I think, their faith with the American people. Not going to give away any more of the movie, but I can. T- but I will tell you that it stars Paul Newman and Sally Field, so it's not just Wilford Brimley. <laughs> There's some really important and great actors in the movie, so I would really, I highly, highly recommend it. The last thing I want to talk about is is professional sports. I just want to make a quick comment about that. And before I make it, I want to say that I think that Yoni Pollock and Seth Gordon, the show that comes on before this one, upon further review, do a fantastic job of analyzing sports. I am in no way insulting or casting any aspersions on the work that they're doing, because I think that some of their analysis of, of professional sports is, is a heck of a lot better than what you see on ESPN or here on WFAN. So they do a great job. But I have to tell you, I've been trying for about 10 days, let's say. I've been trying to watch some of these rebooted sports leagues. You know, Major League Baseball has been back for about a week and a half, two weeks. Professional basketball, professional hockey have been back for a couple of days. And for those of you who know me personally, you know that I'm a very big sports fan, always have been. But I have to tell you, I can't get into these games. I've been trying. But these rebooted sports leagues with the new rules and the new parameters, I can't, I just can't get into it. I'm trying, but I can't do it. I tried, but I can't do it. And for those of you who know my politics, I got to tell you, it's not the kneeling. It's not the woke messaging. It's not the anti-American or protest movement politics getting, which I don't, I don't like any of it. It's not, but that's not what the problem is for me. The problem is not having any fans. The problem is seeing so many people in masks on the bench and in the dugouts. The problem is the fact that the seasons are so strangely abbreviated. And I do love the sports and I do love seeing the athleticism, but it feels like I'm watching a video game or even worse. It just doesn't feel, it feels like I'm watching a practice. And sometimes I'm interested in watching in practice for a short amount of time, but not for the two or three hours that you have to invest to watch a professional sports game. It's just not working for me. There's something missing. And I can't completely put my finger on it, but I can tell you a number of small things that are 
creating a big problem, which is just I, I don't see the fans. I don't see a regular a, a normal season. And it's just hard for me to, to really get into. I wish it were not the case, but it is. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.